I'm the Speed Lord. Oh, yeah! Tonight, on a very special episode of Speed Lords, the Speed Lords meet with a hardened criminal. Conferencing in from Rikers Island, we have Mr. Daniel Guadalupe. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Ah, uh, you sound like a grizzled criminal. You're doing a very good... Thank you. Uh, your throat sounds really healthy. Ugh. I gotta say, um, I feel a little unsafe having you this close to us. Even though we're separated by hundreds of miles of telephone wire, it feels like you're in the room with me. Well, that's what I give people. That's the effect I have on them. Yeah, I, I understand that. So you were sent to the most uh, powerful, the heart of the most impregnable prison in the universe uh, for one crime. Can you please tell us what that is? Yeah. I played Nightmare Sonic Blast. Oh, no. Not only that, I also played Gentlemander. Oh, no. Oh, disgusting. It was at my locals. How do you live with yourself? Uh, it's been rough. Oh, the thrill. Oh, dis disgusting. Is there, a, is there a sexual aspect to this? I refuse to say. That's, that's, I mean, that's really all we needed to hear. Alright, um, this has been an enlightening experience for everyone. Uh, I hope that you all can support Proposition 290 uh, to ban Serpent Knight Dragon and uh, semi-limit uh, Blue Dragon Summoner. All I can say is, you'll go 4-0 at your locals, and you'll feel good. Get out. It's disgusting. Leave. <laughs>
Gravekeepers relinquished still some tribal synergy. And I think that at least two of those decks are still relevant. Uh, the one that isn't is Relinquished. Um, Dang. Relinquished is the big loser of Scars of Battle, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Because I think it was probably close to the second or third best deck in the in the previous Attack from the Deep meta. And now it's whew, it's probably worse than Dragon Caller at this point, very honestly. It's definitely worse than like Skull Servant, which is about the most disgusting thing you can say about a deck. Yeah, there's a lot of decks that are better than Relinquish now, mainly because of Eradicating Aerosol, which is uh, eradicating the meta pretty hard. That's good. That's a good... I hope that you stayed up late for that one. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, But even independent of uh, Hidden Parasite and Eradicating Aerosol, uh, things like Order to Charge being played main deck, um, the rise of sort of single-target monster destruction, uh, kind of spells the end of the deck that oh, I don't know, needs to dump three or four hand resources into a single monster. Yeah, I also think that a big difference is that last format, Relinquished basically was the only monster removal that existed in the format. Everything else had to be done by battle, and now there's monster removal everywhere. Any deck can play it through Eradicating Aerosol, so Relinquished sort of lost that special touch. Maybe it'll come back eventually, but not anytime soon. You alluded to it a couple of minutes ago, but uh, Tribal Synergy, certainly still one of the top four decks, I would feel comfortable saying. Yeah, but definitely the builds that we're seeing for it have shifted over time. Um, I think sort of when Tribal was at its peak, maybe in the starter deck format, we really saw a heavy focus on the Amazonist core in the deck, right? So you ran a lot of Amazonists, you ran the amulets and the villages and a bunch of swordswomen and a bunch of sage. And I think that's not really how the deck works anymore. No, certainly not. Uh, we've seen kind of a tilt towards hilariously more of the harpy elements. Um, as decks have sort of coalesced around a core of like 17 to 2000 attack bodies, um, the Amazonist package of like mid stat dudes it doesn't really stack up to the ability to be able to go like Harpy's Hunting Ground, Harpy Lady, uh, Elegant Egotist, um, which is such an insane power play and beats over any of these mid-range creatures that it's worth investing in instead of like the several cards set up of Amazonist Heirloom that loses to any single target monster destruction. Yeah, and I also think that Harpy's Hunting Ground is a pretty good payoff for your Harpy monsters because unlike, say, Village or Amulet Witch... The advantage that they generate can be blocked out by Dice Foon or Dust Tornado or whatever, any kind of spell trap removal. Harpy's Hunting Ground immediately works on the summon, so it has a lot more, it has a lot less room for error than the Amazonist stuff. And of course, transitioning towards a Harpy core means that you no longer have a lot of the critical weaknesses to cards like Ready for Intercepting that kind of plagued the deck otherwise. Yeah, because you only really need the Warriors to trigger tribal synergy and basically for nothing else i think at this point we're seeing amazonist scores that are mainly consisting of like multiple copies of trainee which has turned out to actually be one of the better amazonists right now yeah we we really misevaluated this card but its utility against right of spirit is like so immense i think that we didn't necessarily misevaluate it because when it came out though decks didn't really focus on the graveyard they focused on a long grind game and that's 
the decks that focus on a grind game now use the graveyard really heavily with Rite of Spirit or Zombina or something like that. It was like Gravekeeper played Rite of Spirit, but Gravekeeper was very capable of winning games without it. Now it's like, well, for decks that are playing Zombina or Rite, they really do expect to resolve one of them over the course of the game. So I think that this sort of pivot towards running more Harpy stuff makes sense for the deck, just because it lets you flood and go wide faster. So it lets you thin your deck of the engine pieces and makes your tribal more valuable in the long run than it would be in, say, the old version where a lot of times you'd tribal and just draw a bunch more useless monsters. Now maybe you tribal into, like, an elegant egotist, which at least does something, even though it's an engine piece, right? Alongside uh, tribal, while we're on sort of dorky mid-range decks, uh, Blade Knight, I think we speculated, would be high tier one, and I think it has... Uh, not exactly lived up to expectations, but certainly been a staple of sort of a tier one metagame. Yeah, definitely I think it sort of occupies the spot in lower tier one along with tribal synergy where it's it's good and it's definitely better than a lot of the sort of the riffraff below it, but it's not quite on this. I would almost cons- break that into like a tier two where it doesn't quite feel, it and tribal don't quite feel on the same level as Gravekeeper and some of the other decks but it's iffy I yeah think. it's arguable um i do like that builds are uh kind of solidified by now um foregoing a lot of the things that we thought would like make warrior tribal the flavor of the month and now are like almost all in on good stuff uh the inclusion of zombina into all of these types of decks has been very interesting yeah definitely it gives them a lot more of a grind game and a lot more sort of floating power with a monster as opposed to having to float with something like Amazonist Village like you used to in Tribal before, which was sort of the only grindy deck that existed before Zombina. And then above these two, we have Serpent Knight Dragon. Uh, Not a lot to say about this one. Um, I think a lot of conventional wisdom about the deck was really mistaken for a couple of reasons. The first of which was people were on these, like, really dorky, trap-heavy builds that have almost completely been um, thrown into the garbage can in favor of builds that are on three Double Costin, three Tribute Doll, about six hand Traps, uh, Summoner's Art, and then SND himself in order to consistently get a Nightmare Sonic Blast of 3+. Yeah, I think that it's interesting because so many... I think they've come out with a combo deck in basically every release so far. It's just that the combo decks that we saw in previous formats like Palominization or the Levia Dragon deck or even perfectly Ultimate Great Moth in this set have all been gimmicky and not very good. I think a lot of people, because it's Serpent Knight Dragon, which feels a bit like a joke card, were as quick to dismiss this deck in the same vein, but it has so much more going for it because it the skill isn't just get out a big vanilla like all those others literally all the other skill combo skills read do a big combo get out a big vanilla that's the thing you know like i think the most analogous skill is the mako skill uh i think it's legendary fisherman or like the world's greatest fisherman or something where it enables your otherwise completely unremarkable legendary fisherman to be actually kind of strong but the difference between, like, special summon a level 4 or lower water monster from your deck when there's a pool of, like, three targets to choose from and 
you are activating dad plus duality is just so immense. Yeah, definitely. It's it's just tremendous. It offers a tremendous amount of spot removal turn after turn, which I think is the big difference. That like sure aerosol is I think a bigger on the spot removal, but it doesn't give it doesn't necessarily give you that turn over turn. It just doesn't let you snowball the advantage in quite the same way without having like a really lucky board set up with floaters like Gravekeeper's Recruiter or something like that. And then uh, our top deck, I think, is probably indisputable at this point in time, uh, is Parasite Gravekeepers. Incredibly strong deck, uh, just like the other ones, as we've started to receive data from like actual tournaments being held, giant cards, online uh, tournaments, and the like. Um, builds have started to coalesce, kind of circle the drain in terms of what is and is not playable. And where we see Gravekeeper now is like a consistently tier one archetype with good across the board matchups um, that gets to play Darkhold. Yeah, I think the big thing here is that it was the best deck last format with Dice Foon and Time Wizard, and it's still the best deck this format, in part because Eradicating Aerosol has incredible synergy with the deck, but also in part because... Gravekeeper just has the advantage of being a deck that's been getting constantly refined in the tank since the the format came out at this point six months ago, which is a huge boon to the finished quality of the deck, right? Yeah, like the move to two Oracle, the trap lineups, you know, they're mutable in some regards, but like having extra time to refine archetypes just gives you this unbelievable advantage yeah and definitely i think that something like nightmare sonic blast if it had theoretically had six months in the tank could be better but it hasn't had six months in the tank so i think that's uh where we identify tier one gravekeeper sonic blast tribal blade knight probably in that order uh tier two is what everything else uh there's the zombie list that's been occasionally topping yeah there's been a few zombie lists which is very interesting I think that zombies and dinosaurs can sort of be, or at least a zombie build and dinosaurs can be mentioned somewhat together in that they're both decks that heavily leverage order to charge. Like uh, one of them gets to play Book of Moon as their payoff and the other gets the uh, AoE 300 attack point boost as its payoff. But, you know, fundamentally they're both just order to charge decks. Yeah, and I think that Book of Life is... In the at the end of the day, a little bit better of a payoff, even though their monsters are a bit smaller, just because it just lets you go wide quicker, and order to charge makes the attack difference matter a lot less. You mentioned um, Dinosaur, another reasonable deck that's been topping in small numbers. Yeah, definitely I think Dinosaur is the kind of thing where the deck has been getting less results than some people thought it would initially, and I don't necessarily know that that's because the deck is bad, but that the deck isn't quite good enough for people to be dedicating a lot of time to it feels to me a lot like how gravekeepers was during starter deck format where there was sort of like a dedicated base of people playing it but it wasn't near anywhere near the top until like you know that one big piece of support came out really turned it all around and then it got the spotlight and really started getting a lot of work done and becoming a prominent deck people still play blue eyes on occasion i hear yeah, I mean, not that many people do play Blue Eyes. Blue Eyes is another deck where it's still pretty good, honestly. People just sort of stopped playing it, I think. I mean, why would you not just play Serpent Night Dragon if you want to be a gimmicky dork? Uh, I mean, Blue Eyes is 
cheaper to build is the, in paper, I guess, is the only real difference because you don't need anything like Sphere Karibo. Probably the other one that deserves some sort of mention is Burn. Uh, although Burn looks more like just good stuff at this point. Amazon of Swordswomen, uh, Blast Sphere, cards that are already pretty playable that occasionally net you wins because of effect damage. Yeah, I think Burn is the kind of deck where as we continue to get more Burn type effects, it might start creeping up and up and up in the meta, but for now it's still sort of down there in like low tier to it at best. I will say, you know what card is terrible with order to charge everywhere? Mask. Yeah, it's uh, not the best. So with that under our belt, do you want to get into <laughs> our controversial controversy section? Yeah, so there's only one really big Speed Duel Facebook group, which I think has sort of... It's probably like the main community area for Speed Duels that I know of. As far as I know, a lot of the bigger... A lot of the bigger speed duel tournaments are fired through there. The creator of the format or like the guy who's in charge of one of the main designers in the format posts in there regularly. So Yeah, so there's three fundamental Facebook groups that make up almost the majority of the online player base. There's associated discords for everyone, but by and large they're dead. Um, there's Gotta Go Fast, which is the largest one. There's Yu-Gi-Oh! Speed Duels. And then there's Yu-Gi-Oh! Speed Duelists. So Yu-Gi-Oh! Speed Duels, which is the second largest Facebook group at about 700 members, um, has recently made a uh, controversial decision, to say the least. And that decision was, for those of you unaware, um, for all of the tournaments run by one of the specific individuals who routinely runs tournaments, Nightmare Sonic Blast and Dice Foon will be banned. Interesting. And then somebody else came along, unbanned Dicefoon, limit Gentlemander. I think your timeline is correct here, yes. So this came to our attention uh, because we were linked a really excellent video that I, I'm not going to mention the title of or the name of the channel because I don't want you all going there and liking it. But it's a long rant video about how uh, Gentlemander needs to be banned and Nightmare Sonic Blast will be banned for the foreseeable future, right? There's so much going on here that it's hard to talk about. The first thing is that I do like the concept that, like, the original ban is two cards, and then the person is talked out of one of the cards almost immediately to put another pet card on the list. Uh, I, I hope this should go without saying, but after three sets, a ban list is probably a little bit premature. Yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot of decks in the meta. There's not a whole lot of cards in the card pool. The format's been around for a little over six months, which is really not very long. I know, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that Konami has trained Yu-Gi-Oh! players to think that ban lists are always the solution to any perceived issue with any given meta. Yeah, I, I hate to be like this, but... Uh, this as the solution to an unfocused or unfun metagame is such a Kazuki Takahashi-brained take. It is just not fundamentally how any other card game operates. Yeah, like, most major TCGs have some kind of ban list. That's 
you know, people make mistakes when designing cards. That just happens, right? At least in their non-rotating format, for sure. Sure, sure. It's like most card games in a non-rotating format have some kind of ban list with a few cards on it, right? Like when you look at, say, Magic, they release a... Magic, I guess, may be a bad example because they've been releasing a lot of ban lists recently. But even then, when they release a ban list, it's because they have, you know, like 50,000 cards in their card pool or whatever for some of these eternal formats that they have, right? And for what it's worth, Magic's extreme amount of ban lists in recent months has been all because of a singular card. It hasn't been like a series of consistent design mistakes. It's been like, yeah, there's one card that we took an ineffective approach to banning the first time, right? And they got it right the second time. On the second list, they unbanned stuff. Like, Magic will go literal years in their non-rotating formats with ban lists of no changes. Yeah, and I think that that's the approach that a lot of games take. Yu-Gi-Oh! is different because TCG Yu-Gi-Oh!, which is the only other major format before Speed Duels came along, takes the approach of doing a rotation much like Magic the Gathering does, but hiding it behind a ban list, right? Which, first of all, I don't want to get into the rotation discussion every single time I open my mouth, but is completely cowardly. To mobilize your user base to say something like, we fiercely defend the ability to use your cards at any given time, unlike those disgusting, ridiculous individuals uh, addicted to set rotation, and then to effectively just implement set rotation is such a have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too method of card design that it's uh, it's kind of gross. Yeah, and I think that sort of mentality of Konami's approach being that instead of rotating on a clock, they rotate on once a deck has been meta for long enough, we rotate it out, and we just never rotate out the bad decks, really plays well with a more casual audience, right? Because to them, it seems like, oh, yes, the company is really helping me out here. They're getting rid of this scary strong deck, which will, by extension, make my weak deck a little bit better in comparison, right? When in reality, what it does is make room for the next incredibly pushed archetype. Like, that's how companies make money. Exactly. But that's how it can appear. And I think that a lot of the people who have come to speed duels at this point are more casual players, which is why we haven't really seen sort of an explosion of really tuned meta stuff. Or it's taken a lot longer to get to a more tuned meta for the game, right? Despite a really low card pool and complexity of individual card yeah yeah just because i think the player base is really small and a lot of that player base isn't super competitive which is fine that's just the way it is right i think that that there's something to be said about that it can be fun to play a game with a more casual card base but right of course i mean we're doing it it rocks yeah no it's it's a blast to play but it does also come with the baggage of you get a lot of casual Yu-Gi-Oh players coming in with that same mentality from tcg that the second a deck gets too good it needs to be banned somehow the problem there being that picking nightmare sonic blast as a thing to ban is so strange to me it's i i think it is indicative and i'm not i swear i'm not projecting here don't don't you dare diagnose me based off of this but i think it's indicative of Uh, just a misunderstanding of the type of people that play card games, right? Like, one of the things that Magic the Gathering leans heavily on is, like, their psychographic profiles. Um, The concept that, like, some people enjoy Magic by casting the biggest 
creature possible. Some people enjoy magic by uh, grinding value as efficiently as possible and seeing tournament success because of it, and some people uh, enjoy magic by building completely unstable, uh, fragile combos and watching their opponent's eyes light up or dim based on the success of those combos um, over the course of the game. And uh, I think that because speed duels are in a large way, a reactionary format, they can feel like a strike against the insane combos of uh, the TCG. Individuals seeing any kind of combo-oriented gameplay represented at all feel like it is a threat to what Yu-Gi-Oh! quote-unquote is, right? Like, the idea that this playstyle exists is antagonistic towards their personal conception of how they enjoy Yu-Gi-Oh. And I think, honestly, as you sort of explained that, it's not too surprising that Nightmare Sonic Blast would be on the chopping block for that for that demographic of speed duelists, because when we look at the only other deck that's been really heavily complained about in speed duel history, it's Dragon Caller, which was the only other like viable combo deck to ever really exist in the format, right? Right. And for what it's worth, you know, Nightmare Sonic Blast, I think it should go without saying, is very much not unbeatable. You know, the Order to Charge decks and the uh, Aerosol decks are seeing success because they are effective outs in a bunch of scenarios to uh, Serpent Knight Dragon. Yeah, it's just they're effective outs to any deck that focuses on monsters. Nightmare Sonic Blast is a really good deck that focuses on monsters, but as it turns out, almost every deck focuses on monsters, and Aerosol is good against all of them. So, um, what you end up is, and I think it's it's been displayed in the method by which uh, this has played out, um, like you'd said, you know, there's confusion over, like, whether Dice Foon is being banned, whether Gentlemander is being banned based on the opinions of, like, the people who made the video and the people who made the announcement, and, like, the fact that there's no connection between them, just shows that Different people experience Yu-Gi-Oh! differently. Everyone has their internal conception of what makes Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh! And every person has different cards that irk them based on what their desired playstyle is. So trying to assemble a community ban list around a consensus of what is unfun is almost impossible, which is why you're seeing this discussion play out the way it is. Yeah, definitely. It just feels like they don't necessarily... It, they don't necessarily see the way the design is going, or at least from my perspective, how I see, how I see the design going, the direction it's going, which is when Speed Duels first came out, they had a very heavy focus on skills, which is something we've discussed on this podcast before, right? That's a, sort of the big difference between Speed Duels and Duel Links, is that in Duel Links, there are skills, but you don't usually build your deck around the skill, as opposed to in Speed Duels, where you very much build your deck around the skill, right? And I Certainly that's, like, medium true right now, with a singular exception of Master of Destiny, but that is very much the exception, not the rule. Sure. You know, for the vast majority of Duel Links' lifespan, it's been, like, random skills that give you a small increase to, like, open better that have dominated. Yeah, and I think that, like, a lot of the time, sometimes they have some specific synergy, but it's more you build a good deck and then the skill is the icing on top as opposed and then add the skill after as opposed to building picking a skill and building the deck around it which is how it works a lot of time in speed duels and i think they ended up going a bit against that with lucky day right because 
Lucky Day, very much... Incredibly powerful generic It's an incredibly skill. powerful generic skill that is more in the Duel Links vein of you really don't have to build around it at all. You can just slap three Dice Foon in it, or two Dice Foon or whatever in any deck you want, and it works fine. Instead of saying, oh, well, we didn't like that. We want to make sure to pigeonhole everybody to have to build around specific skills. They sort of saw the response and how that opened the meta up so much when they released that card. And the designers seem to have said, okay, we're going to start trickling out more generic skills just to give you more variety on that front. And then also alongside it, keep releasing build around skills that are competitive with those generic skills which i think is i i personally think that's a great way to design it right because then you can sort of hit your audience of people who want to build something more generic that's closer to dual links with your audience of people who want to build something that's a bit more build around specific that's more like tcg Yu-Gi-Oh, i guess and understand there exists an alternative to this argument which is ban gravekeeper's recruiter right sure like gravekeeper has been a meta deck for uh, effectively the second set that it was given uh, any support um, it has slotted in whatever extremely powerful generic skill that's been available and yet there's no community uh, consensus around banning this deck uh, for some unknown reason you know it's clearly not a discussion of win rates it's clearly not a discussion of interaction I mean what's less interactive than dark hole uh, so it, it, I really do feel as if it's a representation of the personal biases of the individuals who are in charge, quote unquote, of making the list. Yeah. Also, in terms of win ratios, even that's something that's so hard to go off of because there really just isn't good data still. Like, I wish there was good data six months down the line, but the best we've really gotten is like maybe like twenty man giant card tournaments or like you know like 20 to 30 man side events at ycs's which is something but it is essentially equivalent to a tcg locals which get constantly laughed off the stage in terms of being a worthwhile data point and in terms of uh reporting from ycs's and large-scale events uh, a lot of the time you'll have people turn up realize there's a huge prize to be won in speed duels and like rush to buy the starter deck and construct something which is why in these breakdowns you see these unreal play rates of stuff like insect with like a zero percent conversion rate to top rounds like even the lists that we're getting from these giant card events are routinely tilted towards people who showed up and built it there on the off chance that they'd win a huge prize you know they're not exactly player tested power builds yeah and i i think a lot of the times because a lot of their opponents are playing super under optimized you know click the first 60 view video on youtube net deck out of a starter deck anybody who rolls up with even a mildly tested refined list is going to win you know what i mean like if you've brought your blade knight control deck to locals three times even if you haven't done super well you're still way ahead of your opponent in testing who has never really played speed duels before so that's kind of the discussion of where serpent knight dragon leads off um in terms of gentlemander is this i mean is this even really worth talking about i really don't think so at all because 
they were also talking about like oh you gotta get rid of command knight for the same reason uh, that was being mentioned in the same video this man is like he's like an anti-floodgate activist but against attack based soft locks that are outed by monster removal and put zero offensive pressure up so two things first of all the lock is an integral part of Yu-Gi-Oh. Like, when recognizing cool things that can happen in Yu-Gi-Oh that don't happen in other games, marauding captain locking is a cool thing that can happen in Yu-Gi-Oh that doesn't happen in other games. Like, oh, like it or not, this is a part of Yu-Gi-Oh's identity, and preserving it in a lower power format is a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, especially because I can understand... I personally hate floodgates, and I'm a vehement opponent of most floodgates in Yu-Gi-Oh!, that being said, two gentlemanders is really not what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of a degenerate floodgate. I'm thinking of like vanity's emptiness, imperial order, skill drain, right? Of that course, kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's full shutting off a whole mechanic with no real counterplay that comes alongside that kind of extreme pressure, right? Which you just don't see because your board has two gentlemanders on it. It's really hard to pressure the board when you have two. When you only have one monster slot open. The the concept is like, they'll gentlemander lock you and then just wait until they draw a um, tribute doll in order to tribute the normal summoned monster to make Serpent Knight in the same turn. But like, in a format that is currently defined by individual monster removal, does that seem sustainable to you? No, it's really not. It's the complaint that it forces people to play monster removal is that's... That's just how the meta is shaping up. I think that when the meta was really heavy towards battle changers, it forced you to play Dice Foon. Right. It's the same thing. It's That's just how metas work. The, the end goal of the conversation is the individual is like, when you are entering a deck building screen, you are immediately faced with the concept that you will either lose to Gentlemander some percentage of the time or include monster removal or like, magic jammer for the tribute doll in your deck and truthfully how is that not more interactive than building decks in a vacuum like if your argument is interactivity why is observing the meta and making uh conscious decisions while deck building not representative of more interaction not less and honestly maybe you can make the argument if the only good monster removal was order to charge and like mitch azure or something but there's eradicating aerosol which is an almost completely generic card. The only deck that really can't efficiently out it is what? Like Amazonus? And that's just the drawback of running Tribal Synergy, unfortunately. But Amazonus can out it. You play Wild Tornado. like That's true. It's, it's yeah, just yeah. every deck has some way to do it, right? Like you can argue that every deck having to be forced to play monster removal is a bad thing. But that is certainly not Gentlemander's fault. It's the fault of cards that resist uh, battle. Yeah, and also, that's just... I, I don't think that's even a very solid argument. It's I don't know, like, the fact that the format is so based around these one-for-one -one trades and the battle phase is a lot of what makes the format interesting over something like TCG, which is so based off of this, like, 4D chess of having to know every card in your opponent's deck and predicting combo lines, right? Like, even in grindy matchups in TCG, there's still so much more, like, combo knowledge of your opponent that you have to have, and there's a lot less in-the-minute decision-making than there is in something like Speed Duels, 
where you want to like predict does my opponent have a windstorm or a kunai or whatever right i don't want to harp on this forever because we have been for a little bit uh but i thought the most frustrating thing i heard in the video was a concept that at its core Yu-Gi-Oh is about the battle phase it's about attacking into your opponent's monsters and that's the type of gameplay that should be preserved I think it kind of goes without saying that characterizing Yu-Gi-Oh! as a game that offers a single avenue of gameplay and interaction is a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes Yu-Gi-Oh! so timeless. But I think it also should be said that Yu-Gi-Oh! has never been about the battle phase. <laughs> what? Yu-Gi-Oh! as a, um, a test of whose monster's attack point value is higher has only existed in, like, mechanical chaser format like it has always been uh even as late as things like goat format a game about accruing small advantage into a game winning play or a game about navigating a combo through opponent's interaction it's never been about two beefy men punching each other very hard i mean even you can maybe make that argument about early speed duels because it was so oriented on the battle phase but even then and was it like right because it was all in the battle phase but it was all based on there was no battling right there was no battling because it's like how can i play around my opponent's ad changers all for these advantage shifts right that was the huge thing it had really nothing to do with your attack points or anything like that we had a format that was entirely uh, focused around did the dragon caller player brick and did I draw the single target monster removal, followed by a format that was how many AD changers does my opponent have? You know, we've never had 1850 larger than 1800 format. Yeah. And finally, as a closer to this conversation, um, in response to the amount of hate this announcement, announcement has got, uh, one of the individuals responsible posted a comment that is miles long, but I'll, I'll read you a little bit of it uh, just so you understand where they're coming from. All these cucked, god-hating incels who can't get girls and hate themselves for it put all their ego into a card game, and then when someone who is actually happy with their lives and loves Jesus Christ comes down and says something they don't like, they get pissed and take their own self-hatred out. I hope that the irony is not particularly lost on this individual. That pretty accurately described me. I don't like being attacked like that in this kind of forum, Joe. Play Serpent Knight Dragon against me and I will come to your house and have sex with your wife. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so before we get out of here and end this long podcast, we're going to go over some of the tournament results that we have seen that we've mentioned earlier, even though they're small. I think it's at least worth going into the data that we do have and discussing it. Right. I can't stress this enough. While the tournaments are small, the prizes are huge. So at some point in the near future, people are going to have to start paying attention to the fact that every YCS has effectively a freebie event where you have a shot at, like, something you could only win in a single Elim 64 man otherwise. They're, and note that they are not huge monetarily. They're literally huge. They are giant cards. Very large. Yeah, <laughs> big card. They're, they're very big. So first off, we had some YCSs last weekend from when we were recording this. That was a YCS Ghent and YCS Niagara Falls. Ghent might have been the weekend before. I'm not entirely sure. But we saw some of the decks that we'd expect and some of the decks we wouldn't necessarily expect winning these events. At YCS Ghent, the winner was 
tribal synergy. So this tribal synergy deck, like we discussed earlier, is a lot more harpy heavy. So it's running elegant egotists, a bird face. It's running a harpy lady sisters, which is a little questionable, but is what it is. And then only five Amazonist one village with more Amazonists in the board, which I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but it's different, which is all I'll say. Uh, I do like that it looks like they board into the other half of the list. Yeah, definitely. It seems like they sort of most likely board out of the Harpy stuff, like the Harpy support, you know, the sisters and the bird face and the hunting grounds and whatever, and into that sort of five-card Amazonas engine of an extra swordswoman, an extra village, and two heirlooms. I don't know when you would really want to be boarding into that exactly, but I guess it could come up. You know, con- conceptually there are probably matchups where, like, Harpy's Hunting Ground is of limited utility because they have, like, very few spells and traps that they're setting. Uh, or maybe the spells and traps they're setting are things like uh, Wild Tornado, and you're like, okay, let's just win this the old-fashioned way. Yeah, maybe in, like, the Mirror Match, or maybe uh, definitely against something like Dragon Caller, even though you don't see it that often, that board would definitely be good. For sure. Um, and then at YCS Niagara Falls, we managed to see a zombie list, I believe, winning a first place. We don't have the exact list, but we do know that it was sort of a vanilla-heavy order-to-charge-based zombie list running dragon zombie, armored zombie, and snake hair, which are, I believe, all the vanilla zombies that are legal in the format. Uh, King. Whoever made this list is a hero, first of all. Yeah, no, this list is honestly incredible, and it feels to me like a dinosaur, a vanilla dinosaur list with lower attack values, but Book of Life. That's the big difference here, right? And, like, we just spent 20 minutes, like, whining about how the format isn't a comparison of attack values. I think that deck-building philosophy is kind of valid. Yeah, definitely. I think, because if that was true, then dinosaurs would just be the better pick here. And very honestly, it might be. We can't get super conclusive results, because this is a it's still a relatively small tournament, right? It at least shows that the attack value doesn't matter super much, especially when order to charge is in the equation, because you can just sack your dude off as a quick play and remove their monster, regardless of how many attack points it has, and then revive it on the next turn of Book of Life while simultaneously sniping it out of the opponent's graveyard so they can't revive it with their Rite of Spirit or their Zombina or what have you. The other members of the top four here were two Serpent Knight Dragon decks and a Tribal Synergy deck, so that's sort of continues to confirm what we were seeing other than there not really being a whole lot of gravekeepers at these tournaments which is a little interesting but i wouldn't read too too far into it again they are 13 people events yeah i don't think we know what the size at niagara falls was but we do know that ycs against giant card was a 13 man event um and at that event we do know that uh blade knight also got second with a very stock blade knight list running uh, 10 traps and aerosol and then the minimal core of monsters a very sort of control heavy list that just has literally what seven attack stoppers three dust tornadoes and two board wipes in the main and it just i can imagine it would be very difficult for an opponent to ever do anything against that as well it should be i have faith in blade knight's continued existence and i hope that it gets better also, I've just found in the comments that somebody 
commented saying that they got fourth place with Skull Servants. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Running uh, three Vanilla Skull Servant, three King of Skull Servant, two each of Zombina and Goblin Zombie, some Mitch's Arrays, Night Beams, Book of Life. Uh, I mean, it's a Skull Servant list. I assume they are running the Skull Servant skill because I'm not seeing any Dice Foons or Eradicating Aerosols in this list, which... It's fine, I guess. I mean, that does give you sort of OTK potential. It's similar in that way to uh, Dragon Caller, but with more recoverability in Book of Life than Dragon Caller has. You've got to play Fortification to get your 4,000 attack point King of the Skull Servants up to 4,200. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, seems seem likely that it's the Skull Servants specific skill. So, I mean, that's... The only real results that we were seeing recently, now that we're back into the competitive season, hopefully we'll just keep getting more people and hopefully we'll start seeing those results get posted. Maybe MBT will make a video about it in the near future. I can't make any promises about that. Yeah, I can. It's not going to happen. No, I'm actually... I'm quitting... I'm quitting videos. I'm going to become a drama YouTuber. A Yu-Gi-Oh! drama alert channel. Today, Dzeef leaked his penis pics on Twitter.com. If only. If only. That's not making it into the episode. No, uh, feel pretty good about the state of the format and the health of the game. Um, even though there is a community uproar from three or four individuals about Serpent Knight Dragon, uh, there is also a Konami executive responsible for... Uh, maintaining the health of the format, who is listening. You know, in the same thread as all of these um, rant videos, there's also individuals uh, from Konami saying stuff like, we understand that players find this unfun. We will, with card releases, uh, do what we can to bring decks in line with each other, which, in my opinion, is infinitely more preferable than a ban list. Absolutely. I think that expanding the format to have more options that are competitive and just making more decks that are on the same power level as something like Serpent Night Dragon is really good. It's just the more decks there are, the better. And the, I think the big reason why there aren't a lot is just because there's not a lot of cards right now. But that's about that. Uh, I thank you for enduring our continued hiatus. Um, I promise we'll be back as soon as there's something interesting to talk about related to speed duels. Something like uh, Meep found two people playing speed duels in an alley in crushed the three-person local, or uh, uh, the inventor of Speed Duels released, what, Dark Arm Dragon and Emergency Teleport in the next set. Uh, but barring that, uh, I expect us to be back next month with more exciting Lordian coverage. Hopefully it'll be a shorter gap between episodes next time, but considering the next release is in December, there's no promises on that front. So, Meep, anything you want to say? I guess keep on speeding on. We need to come up with a name for our speed our speed legion. Keep on speed non speed legion. What's we're we're the speed lords, so they could be like the speed serfs. Keep on speed non speed serfs. Speed proletariat, please don't rise up. They're gonna rise up and they're gonna ban Nightmare Sonic Blast. Just you watch. <laughs>